Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I've got another Australian coach on the call today. Um, I've got Toby and I'm not even going to try and pronounce your last name. I've spent all day, I've spent the last few days going through all your YouTube videos trying to find out how to pronounce your surname, but you always call yourself Toby the Golf Professional, so I've been caught out. So how do you say your last name, first off? Hey, uh, thanks for having me anyway, mate. It's good to be here. But it's interesting <laughs> It's interesting that you say that, and, you know, people who are listening, some coaches, they might know I'm Toby McGeechy, right? But I don't say it in any of the public forums because if my father hears it, he's supposed to be Toby McGecky that he reckons. But the other side of my family says Toby McGeechy. So I just kind of keep it quiet and just keep it out of there. Not out of my mouth in the incorrect way, but hopefully dad's not listening. But I just say McGeechy. Spells McGeechy, yeah? Okay, all good. I was just, yeah. I was just thought I'll have to go and search up how to say this last name so I can introduce yeah. you on the podcast. And yeah. um, I couldn't find it anywhere online. So I was yeah. getting very frustrated. That's all right. So for those that don't know, you give us a bit of a background on your story. What you're thinking from when I was like, when I how I got into golf or where I'm at you now? Can, you can get into golf or even from now, just just wherever you feel like starting from. I guess a um, bit of a brief background, I guess, to kind of try and paint my picture a little bit is I'm a golf professional. I'm a coach obviously now and um, I coach full time, but I started golf playing when I was late. You know, the kind of story that I say that I was playing cricket when I was 12 and I was hopeless, right? so bad. And my mum said to me, do you want to try that again next year? And I said, I'd love to. And I just think mum just didn't like the idea of watching me play cricket and top score of nine for the for the year and both six wides in the grand final. She said, why don't we try something else? And golf it was. It was just looking for that summer sport. So I got into golf and um, it was probably about, I reckon, 13 maybe I might have started. And I was just hopeless to start off with. And by the time I turned 18, I started my traineeship. And uh, I wasn't a very good amateur. I, I didn't play good amateur golf at all. Like I was okay, but I was just always behind the eight ball. Very rarely going under par. And then I failed. I, I stopped playing when I moved to Sydney. So then I quit my traineeship and I started again when I was 25, maybe 23. And I started Eleanor Country Club. And I was fortunate enough to, to work there, which was just magic. And... Um, I was working with an assistant pro there who was really into coaching, Dwayne Kerwin. You may have heard of him. He's now the head pro at Bayview Golf Club. And he kind of saved my eyes a little bit to to a few things. And he's a very simple kind of way of looking at the golf swing. And it just kind of just got my attention a little bit. And then I, I took the job at um, assistant pro at Manly Golf Club for six years under Phil Baird. And um, I just kind of started to fall in love with coaching around then. And um, I started teaching a lot of members. And for me, for me, the, the extra kind of curriculum learning that I continue to always do was I was just so worried that I wasn't giving the right information to my students. And I just wanted to learn more and more and more. And I wasn't satisfied with what I, what I was kind of where I started, right? And then I just kept studying and studying and studying and then just found myself just with a full book, getting good results with uh, golf lessons. And then I decided to relocate myself down to uh, Kayama Golf Club down the south coast and I was just teaching and it kind of just became a bit of a vehicle to coach, right? And then I just loved coaching so much 
and I just had decided to hand in my resignation at Kaima Golf Club after three years. I had a full book. I was kind of booked up like two months in advance and it wasn't making any sense to be going into work at quarter to five in the morning to sell Mars bars and throw printers around when I could have been just teaching full time. So at that same time, I got into the online coaching world, right? Which I'm sure we'll touch base on. And from there, um, it's just kind of gone gangbusters. And I now I'm just a full-time online golf coach and in-person coach. And that's pretty much where I'm at. Okay. There's about 400 things to cover off in, in that little little intro, which is what we want. Um, it's all good. But just, just go back to that those, those junior days and you said yeah. that you weren't super good at, at cricket. Um, but Terrible. And struggled early with golf. So was there any sort of like junior program when you were starting out? Well, was there coaching involved as, as a kid or were you just kind of out there just playing on the course? Oh, well, down the South Coast, he's not, it wasn't, we didn't even have a, a golf professional at our golf course at the time. We was just run by this local guy, you know, fantastic guy. And I always thank him every time I see him too, you know, if I ever catch him, I, I thank him and buy him a coffee or a beer or wherever I see him just because of, what he's gifted me, right? He's gifted me and my family a pretty beautiful life. So, but it was just a massive junior program and I was just hopeless. I was just pulling the handle from the top and just hit big pull fades. You know, if I could hit my driver 180, it was a massive hit, but it was, it was starting the left side of the fairway and slicing. But the thing for me, right, was I was, I had a lot of resilience and I just always trained. So I was, I was a good soccer player as a child and only through hard work, nothing to do with talent at all. I was just always the first to get to the ball. You know, I was the first to make a lot of the rep teams. I was just just through hard work, right? And in golf, hard work is good, but you need to have a bit of an idea of technique. So I was putting a lot of hard work at a young, a young age. I was going to the golf course before school. I was going there after school. My dad would drag me out. I was addicted, but we did have a bit of a junior program, but I was just hopeless. It, it's it's hard sometimes, and we've had this chat on the podcast a, a few times with different different people about learning the sport. And sometimes with kids, you can almost you can give them too much technique. I think you can certainly 100%. overcoach them. Um, so it sounds like you spent a heap of time at the golf course just finding out what things worked for you, and mm. with a few bits of guidance from appropriate people, which is probably a pretty good way to learn the sport. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like when I say I was hopeless to start off with, by the time I started playing club competition golf, because I used to grind so hard, right, I got a handy short game and we didn't have a driving range, it was just a short game area and I used to go to the oval to hit golf balls as a kid, but I think I started playing golf at what, I think it was 13 and I think I was off scratch by the time I was 16. So I, I, got, wow. I got pretty, one or two or scratch or something around 16, 17, so got down there pretty quick. It's um again. I grew up in the country, so yeah. You, you talk about short games, and the course that I grew up on was um the typical upside down saucer type greens with um like tiny little greens. So you have to build some sort of short game up to be able to yeah. to score. But you you generally make things work. But the challenge I had as a kid was the course that I had only on the front nine was only three bunkers on the whole nine so my oh, wow. sand game left a fair bit to be desired when i started to play in the city challenging yeah but yeah. um okay so you've stepped into into to junior golf and obviously improved improved fairly quickly without much coaching by the sounds of things so when yeah. was the kind of first step towards getting some some formal swing technique type coaching as a as a player uh i went to a coach um, I was seeing a coach like every two weeks 
um, at the Lynx Shell Cove. Actually, I took ended up when I took the head professional job at Kiama, he was the one who was there before me. So he's been around for a long time. And he just helped me out. I think he was a really good junior golf coach. His name's Sean O'Toole. You know, I don't, don't know if he had, you know, he has a, a really deep understanding of the golf swing. He actually just hit me up for a golf lesson recently, which is a bit of a twitch, isn't it? He's asking me for golf lessons now. Whenever he's in town, he's hitting me up. But I started seeing him and he just kind of just guided me along a little bit. And one thing that he did really well was just out of nowhere, I went from hitting big banana cuts to, to overdrawing it. You know, and I think that once once he'd got me overdrawing it, I think all good players start overdrawing it early, right? And they learn how to fade it from there. Once he got me in that position, I could then just start scoring, right? I could start hitting greens and moving it right to left was a bit easier for a kid. Helps when you're two foot eight, right? Doesn't go very far. <laughs> so you go, <laughs> go whip it from the inside when you're only a kid. Yeah, I, I came across that problem all the way through Asia as well when I was coaching in Asia because they had in their head that, that they were short hitters. So they yeah. had to um, – and, again, people that have heard this story a few times on the podcast, I'll stand there and hit 40-yard draws and then you tell them to cut one and they'll yeah. hit a 10-yard hit a draw and they say, see, it sliced. <laughs> no, it didn't. It still curved right to left. But That's the same with – I think that's the same with DJ's arm game actually, Dustin Johnson. Hey, but with the kids though, would, were they overdrawing it, you know, a lot of the time through excessive leg work? Was it through their legs, you reckon? I, I, they, it was a, certainly a concept issue with them. They were certainly told from early on that they were, they were smaller, they were shorter hitters, they had to draw it to yeah. hit it further. So, so they were certainly drilled into that, that um, frame of mind from an early age. So yeah. I think it just got into them early on and it just okay. stuck there. Yeah. yeah, after about the sixth person that I've, I've ran the first training camp in Taiwan and after the sixth person got on camera and they were so far behind their body coming into the ball, I thought, okay, there's a pattern here. There's something going on. What's what, yeah. what's going on here? And that's yeah. when we started to dive a bit deeper. But they, they were certainly told from early on that they're, they're smaller, they're shorter, they have to hit it from the inside to, to hit hooks. and But that yeah. was certainly out of body sequence-wise and certainly overturning as well on the backswing, which certainly gets them across the line at the top, which makes it easier to get them on the inside coming down. Okay. I think one of the the girls we tested on 3D in the US on a trip, this was after six months of trying to stop her shoulder rotation, she was still uh, 115 degrees shoulder rotation on the backswing. This was after working on it for six months. So I got students like that now, right? With um, with my um, with our overturning, right? Some some kids and stuff like that, and and it's it's it is a challenge. It is a challenge because you don't want to go away from the DNA and the way that they build power, right? Because I think telling a kid to keep their feet on the ground is is kind of dangerous, right? And I think telling a kid to to lessen their shoulder turn is challenging because a lot of the time it's they're over rotating the backswing due to the fact that they just can't stabilize stabilize a club up there through muscles. So it, it is a real tricky one. You know, I've got a, I've got a kid now who's 14 who just hits these slings and um, I can get in there hitting little hold-off seven irons, you know, but we're losing 20-yard carry, you know, but we're not hitting a shank. But it's that kind of common balance, you know, to try, to try and find that balance there. It's, it just can be challenging. Yeah, and that, that certainly was part of it as well. We had to st- st- strengthen them and stabilize them as well. We did some basic screenings on them early on, and they were pretty well all over yeah. the shop when it came to um, shoulder stability, for example. They were just had zero control there. So that was certainly part yeah. of the issue as well. Okay, so into the 
from junior golf, we've obviously got down pretty quickly and into well into the into the trainee program. Did you have any trouble yeah. getting through the trainee program? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talk you're me through gonna, that then. You can ask David Barker about that. Okay, I will. Yeah. I will when I see him next. You know what? I, I've got David Barker. He's good. I classify him as a friend now. He's a good guy. Um, David Barker was the trainee coordinator right when I first started when I was young. And uh, I got myself into a lot of trouble. I, I was I was uh, uh, maybe 19 years of age starting my traineeship. And I still to this day think that that's too young, right? And I found myself living up at um, Long Reef Golf Club, little country boy from down the south coast. And all of a sudden, finding the cross, finding these clubs that stay open past 9 at 9 p.m., you know, <laughs> and I got a bit wild there, right? And I just, I just didn't put the, couldn't put the time in, you know, like I was hopeless, right? And I just had more, I was having so much fun outside of golf that just took me away. So I just had to stop. And the only, and then from there, um, you know, I sold my golf clubs. I just had no, no desire to want to play golf anymore. And I was still working in the golf industry. I was looking after a golf, golf shop at Olympic Park Driving Range. And I went and played golf at Eleonora. When my friend got the job there, he said, mate, you've got to come up here. This place is amazing. He was a trainee there. So I snuck up there with a set of clubs and got around to golf with him. And I met the um, the boss and the head pro there, Brett Parker. And he just said, we got chatting and we got along really well. And he said, do you want to work here? And I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I was like, I've got a good job now. And then six months after starting that, he said to me, do you want to do your traineeship? And I was like, oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And then I uh, I did. And I went to the range with Dwayne Kerwin, who was the assistant pro there, right? And said, can you just give me something here, right? Show me, tell me that I've got something. And it was a bit sandy. And I hit my first three seven irons, like 50 meters off this sandy rise. <laughs> and I just thought, Jesus Christ. I remember looking back at him. He's like, you sure you want to do this? And then I got the bug back, right? I went, I, I lowered my shop hours at the time and just worked three full-time days and every the four other days I was at the golf club from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. every day grinding away and then three months later I rocked up to my uh the trainer intake I didn't have a handicap hadn't played golf had not played a competition around a golf for oh years years and years and I ended up coming like second in the intake and I had to play well, right? Because I had no form to show for no golf link history. <laughs> and I, um, and they said to me, well, where's your history? And I said, well, that's all I got is the four rounds I just played. And they let me in. And, and then from there, right, it was a breeze, right? Because I was addicted to golf and I was older, wiser. I got through a piece of cake in my three years the second time around. I just loved it. I love my traineeship. I had a, such a good time the second time. I really did. Good friends, good camaraderie, good travel. Yeah, I struggled. It can be a challenging space sometimes as well. And um, it, what advice would you give their associates now, not trainees anymore? So the yeah. associates going through, there's a few of them that's tuned into the podcast. So advice for them going through the program now, what would you say to them that you learned from when you first tried through as a, as a kid essentially and then older and wise the second time around? What changed? For me um, – you know, time management's obviously a big one, but I my goals and my desires had completely shifted, right? I, I I had more of an idea in my second time of what I wanted and what was required, and I wanted it. I, wa I wanted what was going to come from it, and I was addicted to the chase of just getting better. 
And I played well through my traineeship the second time. You know, I, I was always up the top, you know, only in the order of merits due to the fact of me, I just played everything, right? Because I was so addicted to it. But to me, it, it depends on, you know, we've all got our Achilles heel, right? So you've got the, what have you got? You've got, you've got to commit to shop hours. You've got your assessments and testing, and then you've got your, your golf, right? To me, you've got to work out, you've only got 100% of attention, right? And so you've got to split it between those three types of subject areas. You've got to work out which one needs a little bit more than the other one. You know, we had an old saying, CPs get degrees. I think it's conceited passes get degrees. And <laughs> that's what we used to always say. And for me, I knew what was needed just through that. And for me, I wanted to focus on playing a lot because I loved it. So I probably put a little bit of less time into my academics, right? But if you're struggling with your playing, then you probably have to do the same thing. You know, just kind of manage your time a little better. There's no point getting A's in your, in your um, whatever they call it, 100% or HD's in your academics, if you can't bust 80, you know, maybe you should look at uh, just managing the time a little bit differently. And, and for me as well, like it's, it's being honest with your boss. Like if you need an extra day here or there, either side of your Monday, just say, I'm being honest with you. It's not because I want to go and get in the piss and get loose. It's because I need this time and I've worked out what works for me because everyone's different, right? Everyone handles everything differently. I remember one time, whinging to my boss before Northbridge program because we had this split roster thing right as a trainee where you did like it was like seven days on and then five days off or something I think we worked it out like that the other trainee he was well into kind of working out stuff out Nick and I whinged to him the whole time I was like mate I'm never gonna go good at Northbridge tomorrow like I've just worked seven days straight and ended up coming tight first but he so he goes okay this this roster's staying in I was like oh it's not gonna work forever you know but Anyways, that was me. But what about you? You've been through it. Yeah, I, I, f I would certainly change how I did it. I did it obviously a bit before you, you guys. Mm. Um, did mine in the late 90s. Graduated in 2000. But um, Were you putting twine on the wooden clubs, were you, back then, mate? <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough that uh, when I first started working in pro shops, I could do most wooden club repairs, but I could, couldn't get the hang of doing a plastic inlay. Could never get that right. Oh, I yeah. really struggled with yeah. that. So just yeah. prior to me starting was when they kind of phased those repair exams out of it, thank goodness. So, okay, yes. Uh, because it I would have struggled. What advice? How would you tackle it differently? Yeah, I would certainly, as you said, I think it's important to understand that you're going to have strengths when you go into the program to start with. So I was a fairly decent player, so the playing wasn't yep. ever going to be a problem for me. Um, but prioritising the the academic side of it would have been something I would do differently. I started off quite strong in year one and then gradually just kind of cruised through for the last two or three years and got a bit close in the last year to not actually passing the, the schoolwork side of things. Hot through the that, that I couldn't do it. It was more so the fact that I just wasn't organised to actually complete them on time. So that was more the, more the problem. Yeah. Yeah, so what you say about being organised, I think, is it's just a huge a huge part of it. And it's it's certainly much easier these days with it being online. Back when I was doing it, it was all paper-based. Mm -hmm. So they'd send you a big folder. You'd have, you'd have to post in your assignments. When hey, what were, about when, when you used due. to do that? Did you ever go to the post office and get ask the post office to give you an old date? You know, you stick the stickers and you stick. You used to stick the stickers on your um, on your uh, on your parcels. Did you ever get an old date stuck on? 
Well, I, I, I actually got the rules changed because I was doing it in the country. I was doing it from Albury. So okay. back then the rules were they had to be in by the Friday of the of the of the the week that the assignments were due. Yeah. And I made the argument that the Victorian trainees could drive them into the office and get them ticked off at five o'clock on a Friday, where I had to post mine three days early to, to be sure that they were getting there at the right time. So yeah. ours were always off this post sticker. We used to get this sticker and it used to be dated. So that was it when I first did it. That's crazy. So you changed yeah. it. So the rules got changed after my first year and they, they only had to be postmarked on the Friday. So I could post them in on Friday then. So that was all good. That's funny. That's funny. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I think you are right. Is identifying what areas you're already strong in and then not um, giving too much time to that side of it as opposed to it's quite easy just to go out and play golf if you're a good golfer as opposed to spending time on the on the schoolwork side of things if that's an area that you struggle with it's i think it's very common in people in general to do things that they're already good at as opposed to working on areas that need working on yeah honest reviews so very true so you've moved into into coaching pretty quickly you said and you said you build up a coaching book pretty pretty fast which is can be a challenging space for a young coach mm. first out of their time to be able to build a client base. So how did you go about getting those clients up straight away? For me, I, I was teaching out at Manly Golf Club, right? And I had the opportunity. I, th I think the book was there for me to take, right? And I think a lot of people just enjoyed the experience of coming for a lesson with myself at the time. You know, and, and I remember my first ever, like first week of teaching, right? I didn't sleep the night before, you know, I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be on YouTube trying to find something to try and teach them because I didn't know anything, right? Because what, what, like, let's be honest through your traineeship, there's not, not a lot of problem solving golf coaching sessions going on. Like it's not, you know, you learn from where you're hanging around with your peers, right? And, um, I, I, I felt like I, I found solutions but it just took me a little bit longer back then to kind of get to the right answers. But filling up my book for me was just, I think I was pretty reliable at the time. People would show up. They knew I was going to be there. I had a diary. I started writing out this post-lesson notes kind of thing for each session at the time. People enjoyed that, you know. And, and at Manly Golf Club, I think as well, people just enjoyed, I think it was the accountability of just wanting to get a lesson and be there. Like some people would come either side of their round of golf. but um. And that's when I started to really, I'd come, a couple, come a, I'd come, a come across some tough lessons and I just kept, kept researching on how to, how to get better at it. But yeah, it just filled up really quickly and I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You know, I, getting out there and teaching, I'd, I'd, I'd be hanging all day for it. And I think the student actually realized that, you know, I think a lot of people would, the way I kind of explain it is some coaches give a couple lessons of an afternoon to pay for a case of beer on the weekend where I was giving a couple of lessons or well, a lot of lessons each day because I loved it and I loved helping people. Like I think it's a really, we're really lucky that, you know, people are so invested in this game of golf, right? People are so invested and, and for them to come to come to your teaching team, for you to them to have trust in you to get them better. I think it's a big onus. You know, I think it's a really big onus and I think people realized how much I cared. And, and if I was struggling with someone, I'd always double check with them or I'd go the extra hour when I was younger 
I just keep grinding, you know, and just kept learning. But I think that's why I was kind of busy. I think people knew that I cared in a nutshell. Now, come on, my pain for that case of beer is extremely important too. So don't forget, you, you've, you've got to pay for that alcohol on the weekend. That's exactly. definitely true. I think as a young as a young coach as well, because you're traditionally you're in front of the golfers more often than the head pro because they're doing off doing other things behind the scenes. So, yeah. being that friendly face in front of the players mm-hmm. can certainly help you attract clients as well. So. And, and I think as well, like you talk about that attention as well, right? Like the head pro's got more things to worry about, right? You know, the assistant pro doesn't have so much to worry about. Like I'd be sitting there behind the counter at the time at Manly and I, you know, I was still looking, you know, the assistant pro at Manly does do a fair bit, um, does do a lot there because uh, Beardy is back of office a bit, but I'd be sitting there the whole time behind the counter just learning about golf swings. You know, or or just watching YouTube, or 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 going nuts and just getting ready for my lessons. You know, I'd get be getting my my teaching card on the golf cart. I'll be ready to go. Where I think I could just focus more attention on it. You said you used to write out post lesson notes for the students. I did something similar as well. I had the the carbon copy books, and the reasoning I had behind it was the fact that I couldn't. I had a terrible memory for stuff yeah. I've worked on with students, so that gave me something to have on file that when they came back for the next lesson, I could flick back to see what I did with them last time to give yeah. you an idea. Yeah, yeah. Why did you start doing that? Was there any thought process behind that, or was just something that you you came up with? I think it was for me was um, it's good for the – this was just where I started with a piece of paper, right? It's a lot more difficult, different now. But for me, it was it, it's an opportunity to kind of just realign where I want the student to focus on, you know, and just kind of simplify a little bit and also give them some stuff to take home and do because I, I, I'd i hop in the car as a kid and mum would go, oh, what did you learn today? And I'd go, I don't know. You know, like, I don't know where I, I, I never, never had it written down. I didn't know what I was working on. And now today, like, you know, in those sessions, I just give people, and I also had on that piece of paper, I was pretty strategic around it. I, on, on a word document, I'd have an, an A5 document and I'd also have my name on there, my teaching hours, my phone number, my email address, my dot points, you know, like I'd have all that on there, either side of it. You know, and I don't even write on there the next appointment if they booked one at the time, because that's when I used to carry a little diary around in my text, my phone. I'd, I'd have a little diary and I'd take it out for dinner because I'd be getting texts throughout the night. And um, yeah, I, I was like that weird unit with a diary and a phone full time down the street. Yeah, I think you've hit on a really good point there because it's really easy for golfers to focus on the wrong thing that you've covered off. It might be. Mm-hmm. I've found it so many times you, you give someone what you think is a really good coaching session and they come back a week later and they've worked on something you maybe brought up for five seconds at the end of the lesson. They haven't yeah. hit on the key point that you were trying to cover. So writing it down and um, highlighting the points that you really want them to focus on I think is a really important coaching strategy, which is, sounds like you got on that really quickly. And you know what as well though, and I've learned that more in my end of coach, but towards my coaching now in my later years, right, is that I'm very mindful when I open my mouth. And I think online coaching has really helped me with that. You know, if I feel like I've said something that I don't want the student to know about it, it just for the sake of saying it, I'm pretty mindful in the my choice of words that I use. And especially with some of my students who I know are just over analytical and, and crazy thinkers, right, where... I might say something out loud, you know, because I'll I'll say something, you know, I might have accidentally said something out loud, like, because a P6 is going to produce a more flex left wrist. And someone will go, 
what's that? What do you mean? I'm like, oh, damn. You know, like, <laughs> so online coaching is that, that space where it's all recorded. It helps me do that, right? Because I can just really write down what I'm going to tell them. It's extremely hard as a golf coach to, or as a coach in general, to know when to shut up basically yep. because it's so easy to to feel like especially early on i'm 100 percent guilty of this is feeling like you need to be talking to give them value for what they're paying 100%. you and it's so hard to learn that sometimes it's good to actually just stop talking and sit back and let them work it out for themselves and like problem solve and but i i i talk about i help with a lot of on our new new coaches right i i have a new coaches who approach me all the time and the first thing I generally say is overcoaching. Don't overcoach. To me, it came from wanting to offer extra value. Like I just wanted to, I wanted the student to get as much information as possible. And I've come to realize that it should not, that should not be the case. It just hurts them in the long run. And you, you, you should be adding that extra value by being contactable through the apps for example or by sending stuff to them a couple of days later checking up on them that's the type of stuff yeah. that you should be doing to add that value as opposed to talking for the full hour when you're out there giving the giving the coaching session but that comes from fear right that comes from a bit of insecurity as well like does it does a, does a student not think that i've offered them enough value you know does a student not think i'm not good enough you know Something that comes from fear as well that I found early on in my coaching, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, is if it didn't work straight away, I'd be jumping in and trying to change it some other way. Have you, yeah. Is that something that you came across as a coach? Um, definitely. But the way that I kind of str strategize around that is I'll tell all my students what the desired result is. So say it's a position at P5 or whatever, right, if I'm using the P positions. And a player is at left arm parallel or lead arm parallel coming down to the ground where I want their shaft to be, right? You know, for instance, there might be a few different ways to kind of get to that same position, right? So I tell them what our desired position is and then I'll attack it one way. And the next session, if it hasn't worked, I'll, I'll be honest with this shit. I say, if you've actually done X amount of work, if you've actually done what you've told me you've done and it hasn't budged, we're going to go a different route. But we're still trying to get at lead arm parallel shaft through the trail bicep. That's what we're trying to do. And if you haven't got it there, then we're going to go this way because I've got another way we can do it. And that's how I kind of attack it if I'm going differently. But during a lesson, I feel like, you know, Sean Foley puts it a good way where the better the coach, the reason why a coach is busy or gets good results is because they can generally problem solve quicker than the other coach. So they can get the right answer the first time. And it brings a big smile to my face. When I try something and I go through the Rolodex in the brain and I go, I've got a few different ways we can get here today. And and then bang, it gets there straight away. I go, you beauty, we're there. And then, so, uh, but I'll, I'll, yeah, that's how I kind of attack it. Does that make any sense? No, that, that's com completely cool. And as I said, it's it's good to have those five or six different ways to explain something, but as you said, a, a, just through experience, I think as a coach, you start to identify which ones will work for which particular student standing in front of you. And that yeah. only comes through time, I think. And it yeah. comes through experience, getting out there and doing it. So, yeah, no, really cool. Now, there's a term that pops up quite consistently throughout your online online presence that I'm interested mm -hmm. to get your take on what it actually means. Self-confessed golf nerd is what pops <laughs> 
with what pops up quite often yeah. when we're when we're, we're talking about your online stuff. So, what does that mean for you? All right. Well, I have uh, an obsessive compulsive disorder, right? In in a degree, and I, I don't, and it used to my advantage, right? And people who know me who be listening to this know I don't do things in halves, right? And I get my my get when I get my attention focused on something, and for me, it's the golf swing, right? I just love studying the golf swing. I, I have, I have thousands of golf swings on file, thousands, and I just love consuming golf information and coaching information. I can listen to anyone talk golf. Oh, I just love it. I just, I love it. I, you know, watching golf on the PGA Tour, like I do get to watch it. I'll put it on the studio on here when I'm working, but. I just love being around golf and I love studying the golf swing. And it's just what I do like seven days a week. My wife, you know, she's put some parameters in place where in my studio down here, like I, I shouldn't say this, we've done this together, right? Where I keep my phone and my iPad and my uh, laptop, you know, I keep it all down here in my studio when I, when I knock off from work and when I'm with the kids and then when I, when the kids go back to bed, I might sneak back down here again and, uh, and continue to go. But, if I'm not, if I've got the TV remote, if I'm fortunate enough to get it, I'm watching <laughs> Sevi Ballesteros, Mac O'Grady, you know, 1994. I'm watching four hours of it, of Mac talking to Sevi. Or I'm watching, you know, just just all golf swing related stuff. So I should call myself a golf swing nerd. Sounds like you've got a very tolerant wife <laughs> if she puts She's up with, with all that. <laughs> Hey, we've got a good life, hey. So she's 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 pretty lucky. We're pretty lucky, I should say. No, she. um, <laughs> she's a cat's mother, as I as I used to be told when I was a kid. So yeah, no, she's awesome. But, no, that's that's really cool. And this is, as I said, it's I think that that thirst for understanding is a great trait to have as a coach, as long as you can draw the line between what you need to know as a coach and what you need to give across mm. to that student standing in front of you. Hundred percent. There's a big difference between um, knowledge and coaching, isn't there? You know, I think there's a really big difference. And whenever I'm studying something, you know, I've been talking to uh, Alex Moore, friend of mine from the states, great golf coach. He's just Mac O'Grady, you know, or, or Morad, or Morad. And I've been talking to him a lot about trail arm, you know, or I can even just call my friend Jay in the UK, or we can just be talking trail arm for two hours. You know, so it's crazy. But then also talk to other coaches about, you know, how to get that across to the, the student and also know what the side effect of that's going to be, you know. So, yeah, I just, I love problem solving. I really love problem solving and I love, you know, like I, the way I explain it to everyone is I don't care how my car goes. I really don't. But I really care how the golf swing works and I really want to know the ins and outs of it. And how certain certain patterns work. I was talking to a, uh, a coach from Canada the other day, and I put a post up on Instagram about you know set up an impact of you know I took from someone, and he asked me a question about someone's trail leg, and I said, "Well, have a look at the lead leg. There's this, there, you know, there's a cause and effect going on here. There's an equilibrium. We got balance." He, he starts. He, he didn't re- you know recognize that, and and that's for me constantly. I'm obsessing over that. You know, how's JT on the way down got such a, a steep hand path and still shallows it? You know, like that to me, I can sit there and watch Justin Thomas hit balls for two hours straight trying to work out how he does it. Anyways. You've, you've, 
you probably hit on a pretty good point there that you in in the car you're essentially the student, aren't you? You, you know if you do this, this, and this, that the car works. You mm. don't care about anything else. So as a golf student, mm. that's what you want. You want to be able to do this, this, and this, and the ball's going to go straight. But as the the golf coach, you need to know what's under the hood, so to speak. So I 100%. think you probably hit on a pretty good pretty good point there. So that's really cool. I like that. And I think it just comes from like. It always comes from fear with me. Not, I shouldn't say fear, but I've always wanted to know as much as I can to help the person in front of me. Like, I honestly, every day I get to work and, you know, when I do my in-person coaching, I've got six, six one-hour lessons a day. And, you know, it doesn't matter what I've achieved if my players have had, you know, wins on tours or, you know, if this is happening in my world or whatever. The first thing I always say to myself, you know, when I see the first student coming is the six most important people today to come see me are the six people who come see me today. That's the six most important people in my life today, these six people. And I need to make sure that I'm delivering the right information for them. That's pretty much how I approach it. And if I haven't got that information, then it's not going to be very nice. They pay good, people pay good money to see me, right? They do. Yeah. It makes so much sense, which is which is really cool. So that kind of brings me to where I wanted to go go next. I can see a bit of a hitting bay behind you where you're sitting in there. It's a bit blue. I can think I can see your GC quad in the corner there as well. There is. Other. Yeah, that's my baby, my GC quad. <laughs> different, different, different teaching tools there. So talk mm. me through how you've set up your coaching environment now. So I'm always curious to know how you've set up your coaching venues, whether it's indoor, outdoor, what type of facilities that you have access to and why you did it that way. Yeah, so I, I approached – so I'm down the south coast of New South Wales and I approached the Link Shell Cove, a bit of a forward-thinking kind of golf club. Um in a way that they're always very innovative and I approach them about being a head teacher professional there and they're all for it. They're really keen. So out there we have, they're just building now actually in a roof and they're putting in the, um, the top tracer bays, which is really exciting. And so I do all my in-person coaching at the Link Shell Cove and I teach there Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays. And the other two and a half days or three days, if my, if my wife's okay with it, I will be teaching out of my studio in here online. So I have a studio uh, built in my garage, which you can see it's full AstroTurf, hitting mat. It's all uh, Net Return Australia stuff. So I've got the projector screen, got the projector, can play golf in here, which my neighbors don't love, but I got all <laughs> the um, black thing up, TVs up here, got the GC quad, lots of, you know, a few cameras around where we can measure things and I'll do my online lessons from this space in here. And I like this space. I, I always come in, I'll vacuum it, I'll make sure it's super neat before I give a golf lesson. I like to really create a really nice environment before I I start teaching online, even though it's not even in person, it's not live online. And I just think it creates that nice professional atmosphere as well for students when they see what I've got set up here. It's not me just giving my online lessons from a a bedroom in a in a house or something like that. So that's pretty much what it is it's it's a really cool space hey i'm pretty lucky to have this not many guys in their garage have got the setup i've got no it looks looks pretty awesome i think yeah. i would i'm a bit jealous personally that i haven't got something something set up similar i have power in my little shed at the back but i haven't got around to setting up that type of coaching setup yet it's it's not as expensive as you think it really isn't you know i'm i've got an affiliation with the net return australia which is good right but when I start piecing it together and people always ask me, I've got a 
a, uh, a document on my phone that I just send to people now. I just tell people, because people ask me all the time, like, how did how much does it cost? I just go send. And it's not as expensive as people think. You just need to have, I think it's 2.7 or 2.4 maybe the roof. Uh, for me, I can hit driver, but you probably won't be able to. But, yeah, and you can just play golf. Like, it's not as, like, I got the projector from the Kogan. It's only 300 bucks. Like, it's not, yeah. Maybe it's not expensive in my world, but maybe it is in someone else's world. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. No, that's, that's really cool. Um, I'm curious because you're not not Sydney-based, so to speak, or not city-based. Mm. You're not um, exactly rural either, but you're yeah. not in the heart of the city, and you've obviously got a fairly yeah. good setup, which you charge premium prices for, which yeah. is, as you should. Yeah. I've yeah. got zero problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm curious what sort of – feedback you get from customers about the prices you charge and what how that works in that type of setup i think for me right and my in-person lessons and the way that i explain this to people is i'm passionate about coaching right it's not a side hustle right for one it's what i do it's my career and people don't come to me I, the way i explain it, it's not very nice to all the nancy's out there but i don't get nancy's who want to learn to hit a seven iron over a bunker you know i get people with a growth mindset and i get people who who are really interested in getting their game to the next level. And what I've noticed, right, where I've had people say to me, oh, you're a little too expensive or what. No, it's not that expensive, right? But like, oh, sorry, it, it is. But in the in Australia, it's just it's probably towards the top, but it's not like it's stupid David Ledbetter stuff or whatever. But people have fluffed around with other coaches and they've actually come back to me. So... Not, not like not come to me left and then come back, but people have said to me, you know, through DMs, do you do a half an hour costing? I say, no, I only ever do half, an, I only do one hour sessions. And yeah, because I get results, I think people enjoy coming back. And it's, it does come with, it does come with its own challenges. Like a friend of mine, Alex Riggs in Dubai and Stevie Giuliano, you know, Stevie Giuliano as well, charge huge money top money and to me is a lot of responsibility that comes with that you know to make sure that you're delivering a really good lesson you're creating a really nice experience or a nice environment and you've got a good message and the student for one is lowering their scores right and it does come with its challenges for sure and in this area where i'm at golf is incredibly cheap so it's only it's only like 30 bucks for around a golf wherever you go you know so it's not like it's in sydney where it's 100 bucks or you know 80 dollars around a golf so it is. It does come with its challenges for sure. I think I think you hit on a, a pretty good point there. Is if you give them the experience that that price warrants, then they'll keep coming back. If they're getting results yeah. and they're getting the experience that they expect to get for paying that that type of fee, then they'll keep returning. And yeah. it sounds like you've probably hit on the mark that you get what you pay for. So people that might want to go for that cheaper golf list and aren't getting the results that they want tend to come back to you. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, and, and and you know, like it's, you know, we're, we're the way to put it in Australia as well is that we do we're lucky. We're not like the guys in the UK; they don't they don't charge much at all. We get to actually charge a little bit extra in Australia here, but it's creating an experience in that environment and not be whittling the person if that makes any sense. Not not giving them a hard time for not knowing something you know, and trying to make yourself look bigger than them just because you've got this book of information in your brain. I think that is, I will often, when a student comes to me to start off with, to try and make them feel comfortable, if they're nervous, I'll generally ask them, 
if they're nervous. And I'll, I'll go along the lines and say something like, um, you know, are you nervous today or, or whatnot? I say, don't be nervous. No one ever comes to tell me how effing good they are. You know, people come <laughs> and tell me that they're struggling, right? So that's generally where I'll start. And and then they'll go, oh, you make it look so easy. And then I'll go, well, what do you do for work? And they say, oh, I'm an accountant. I say, well, you're probably incredibly good at doing what you do. And I watch you work and I'm hopeless on my laptop. You know, so I try to create that comfortable environment for the person who wants to at least come back. And and over an hour session, you've got that opportunity to do that. When I was doing half an hour lessons, it's it was just too hard. It was too stressful to try and find a solution quick enough. And it's just, yeah, I just I just found it not feasible and not successful. No, com- completely agree, but it can be hard for a young coach if they're at a facility where they've traditionally done those 30-minute lessons. It can be hard, hard to change the consumer's mindset, so to speak, and get them yeah. to understand that they're better off paying for that hour to get that that improved coaching experience. It can be be a hard place to be sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as well is it doesn't – it actually ends up creating a nicer environment because you're not rushing the student as well and you know when they hit a few bad shots when you're doing a half an hour lesson it's like they hit four shots you're like oh god i've got to fix this already the guy's gone top hook top hook block airy and you've got to try and come up with something and for me it was we could just take that time easing on it get to know each other a little bit more check in on how they're going previously and i could find i could actually get to a solution quicker by just giving that giving it time for the solution to kind of find itself if that makes any sense yeah, it does, and I've discussed this with trainees in the past in a previous role I had with the PGA and talking about skill acquisition and um, watching different swing movements and understanding how long it takes to actually get a picture of what the swing is, and it was six to eight swings from each different view. So you're starting to look at 14, 15 even 20 swings before you should be jumping in and making any sort of coaching. And then in a half-hour coaching session, that's that's half the session gone prior to them actually even getting any coaching. So the hour certainly makes sense from a, from a pure coaching point of view as well. I'll tell them at the start of the session, I'll go, here is uh, 10 golf balls. Uh, generally, I'll kind of rack out a few there. We might have gone over their previous lesson. I'll say, I'll let you hit eight to warm up. All right. Like I'll, I'll not let you, but let's hit eight, warm up, get comfortable, and then I'm going to film down the line and face on these last two balls. And before they hit it, I'll walk up to the 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 area and I'll really hone in on their target. I go, let's get serious here. This is the target. This is where the ball's going. We're not trying to get make just face contact. We're trying to actually get a direction so we can actually measure what's going on. And it creates a little bit more of a real game environment sense of where they're actually at. And then I'll measure those ones there. And I, but I'll, I'll let I'll free them up. I'll free them up by letting them know that I'm not judging their first eight balls. I might even just turn around and just get their lesson set up as they're warming up, and just let them feel ease more into it because it's an environment where you're walking into and you're getting judged right from the second you walk in. From the second you walk in, like if you have a lesson and your guy rocks up with a set of Cougar Unlimited censored clubs or whatever, you're judging them, right? And if they haven't got a glove on, you're judging them. So they're feeling judged from the minute they get there. And I think at least creating a space where they can perform at their best is 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 key. Yeah, I completely completely agree there. So you said you only do uh, one hour coaching blocks. Is there specific programs that you offer, or you tend to just like obviously I'm sure that you, you plan with 
particularly students a pathway where they're going, but is there any extra types of programs that, that you tend to offer? I wish I did. My my friend, Kerrod uh, Gray, he has he was big into this early on. He had his coaching development kind of program. And I, I just, I do more or less here with, I do packages, right? Most people on a package. Everyone is pretty much prepaid before they come to see me. It works out better for them. And I pretty much tell them that if you want to get better, you need to do that. But I'll generally, I won't have any plans as such, but it will be, there will be goals around what they want to do and where and where I believe they need to be and what suits their DNA pattern and when we get there and then just kind of keep growing. I've always got that growth mindset of wanting to get better. Yeah. That, again, that, that, it just makes so much sense and obviously it's probably where you're going to head anyway. I'm sure that in the future you'll start to build those those types of programs in. So had Kerrod on the podcast already and he was a, a great, great oh, chat. Really? So if you haven't. If you yeah. haven't heard his his episode, anyone out there, please feel free to scroll back in the feed and have a look at Karen's show because he was really good. Mate, I talk to Karen pretty much every day. He's doing some really cool stuff over there. And, He's good. The, um, only, the one good. thing, you know, for the coaches listening with the coaching program, so what Karen did right was he had supervised practice, right? So people paid a monthly fee of um, X and that allowed them to come to two coaching uh, after uh, evenings essentially a week, right, and they could come grind and supervise their practice. And it's fantastic for, for development, right? But for me in my online coaching world and my space where I want to be traveling a lot, um, you know, going to see plays and stuff like that, I just couldn't commit to being on a – I couldn't commit to doing something like that with that supervised practice, if that made any sense. So it just – for me, I, I, I you know, I, I liked the flexibility of not being anchored down to it. And, and it was fantastic for Carrot. He did amazing out of it. And um, he, he's since gone away from that as well. It's, I think as a, as a coach, as part of setting it up, is, is, is setting up your coaching is set up to suit your lifestyle. So that makes, again, so 100%. much sense being able to set up stuff that suits you. Because you are, you're essentially setting up a workplace where you can do what you want to do. So yeah. having a, having a program set up to support what you want to do personally is, is a huge positive. I think that should be everyone in life. You know, a friend of mine, he complains about his work and I go, well, just make your work suit your lifestyle. That's it. Makes common sense, but harder to do in practical, I think, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but no, that's really cool. Now, okay, let's get on to the online coaching. This is something that you're pretty big in. You've got a yeah. significant presence online. Yeah. Um, I think you use the Skillstap as your as your coaching platform. There's a few different ones I out do. there these days, but there Skillstap is a few different ones. Yeah, I think people. I think the reason why there's a few different ones is because it's it's it really works. It really works. My online coaching for people who haven't been into involved in the online coaching space and a lot of coaches reach out to me about getting into it and i started it in 20 i don't know 2019 but 2018 maybe before covid myself and dom as a party were like the first two in australia to really get into it and incidentally now we've been very lucky we're now you know two of the tops you know busiest ones on the skill stat in the world which is really cool but the online coaching space for me and what it does, right, is it's a subscription model. And I'll tell you why it's also good value for coaches as well, to, especially um, new coaches. It's incredibly good way to learn to coach. Is It's a subscription model where people pay me X for the month, right? I've got three different types of programs. And they can send me, say, we'll say the unlimited one. They can send me as many uh, unlimited lessons as they like. And it sounds crazy, 
but a lot of the time where it's just me, someone might send me two to three lessons a week and it might only take me five minutes to return each lesson or 10 minutes to return each lesson. But we already know what we want, right? Say we're working on trail arm, right? We're trying to get it. Say we're trying to get pressure points, pressure point one, two, and three more connected through the backswing, right? And if we know that's our desired goal, right, what we want to get, the student keeps training. I look at it, check it, good, keep going, check, good, keep going, or change this a little bit and go that way there. So it's a really good way to learn. For me, instead of coming to see me in person, right, and dumping like, you know, X amount of money for the one hour, and I can just monitor you over the whole month. And it gets amazing results. I got a tool win in India, you know, on the mini tour in India. So it's, it's without even meeting the guy, it's pretty incredible what you can actually achieve. But the reason why I like it for coaches, right, listening to especially, uh, say, the associates or new coaches is because it gives you a lot of time to problem solve. So if someone sends me a golf lesson through and they've got the shanks or whatever, right, and you're watching their golf swing, you don't have to come up with a solution within that 10 minutes of a golf lesson. You can actually, which some coaches do to me, they'll send me their swings. They'll say, I've got player X here. He's got the shanks. What do you reckon's going on? And then I'll come back to them and I'll say, you know, coach, this is what's going on. This is what I believe is happening here. And then they go, okay, yeah, I actually think you're right. And then from there, they can deliver some really good information without having to feel pressured to coming up with it straight away. That's a really good way to learn to coach. Really good way. I learn a lot through coaching it. It's helped me a lot with my communication. We we're talking before we started about, you know, learning on making sure you're giving the correct information across. And what it also does is, you know, when you when we do a lesson now in person, our end of year, our end of lesson review, it goes for what two minutes on video, and it's five dot points. So it's like the whole hour is, is now in a two minute video and five dot points, right? But we we kind of work together through that that period. That's like an online lesson, is you watch the golf swing for a while, and you go through there, and it's really affordable. People can do it from wherever they're training. So if you're working on someone's left side bend in the backswing or whatever, and you're just doing the club across the shoulders drill, you can just, I've got a guy in New York City apartment who just sends me that drill from his apartment in New York. And I go, yeah, it looks good, but take a look at your balance there through your trail leg. It's going a little too external, your knee, through the, you know, through the downswing. And yeah, it's just a really funky way and cool way to learn. You don't have to try and be somewhere at one certain time. And I, yeah, I think it's really cool. <clears throat> have you gotten into I it yet? Uh, I've I've got a, a presence here. I haven't really been flat out with other stuff at the moment. I haven't yeah. really got got into it. But I like. I hadn't heard that point before. That as a young coach, it gives you the chance to see someone swing and then take a bit of time to actually go and maybe do some research on what might be causing that particular problem, as opposed to having to give an answer on the spot. So I 100%. actually like that idea, which is really cool, and I certainly like the fact that you can give that clear and concise information as opposed to waffling on sometimes as you can get you can be prone to do in that in that face to face coaching session. Yeah, and you can just direct it straight to the point. Bang. I'll say that straight to the point. Boom. Because I'm making sure that the message that I'm giving them right, I want them to be able to watch it again and again and again. So I'm making sure that I'm using clear, concise information that is exactly what they need to know and what they what they don't need to know. But we mentioned it previously as well. And even on that little thing, Tony Ruggiero, you know, the juice sweeper, he's a, he's a big time coach on the PGA Tour. I was listening to him one time talk about how 
he was looking at one at the dinner table one night, looking at his golf, this student's golf swing. And the next day I looked at it and goes, what the hell are you on about, Tony? You're completely wrong. You know, like he, he's in his own head over the 24 hour period, he changed his whole mindset on how he's going to approach this lesson. So that's a pretty, pretty cool way of looking at to make sure. But the, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's, it's with that message, right? You can make sure because one thing, that's what we're talking about before was overcoaching, right? Is a lot of people who get onto into online coaching are obviously really keen. They want to get better, right? They're golf nerds, right? So, and the thing that you, you can make an, a problem with is that they keep sending you golf lessons and you keep funneling them new information each time. And they're touching base with you a lot more than what an in-person lesson student's doing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's tricky to get that balance right. But if you've got some good mentors in place or some good people around you, you can really learn, really learn how to do it properly. But I like it. Suits my lifestyle well. Which is obviously a huge positive as well. Yeah. But um, I was curious if it attracts a certain type of student as well. Like um, you said, obviously, yeah. they can touch base more often, which is a good thing in most in most cases. But does it tend to attract that type of student that wants so much information all the time? Definitely. Definitely does. Because you don't you don't get online lessons if you're not into learning about the golf swing, right? So you get that person who... And, and I, I always explain to my initial, an initial Zoom consultation that it's not important for you to know everything that goes on within the golf swing. It's important for me to know everything that goes on in the golf swing, but it's important for you. And I, and I talk a lot about where people's attention is, and I need 100% of your attention in the doing part of this process. Don't try and problem solve it yourself. Like if they, if they call you up and they've got the golfing machine book on their lap or whatever you go, just put, put the golf machine away. Let me, let, let me work this out for you and just hand it over. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you the whole way through this process. And once people know that you're really interested and you're really keen, but that's the type of people you're definitely getting. You're definitely getting those types of people. So who have been your guys that you've gone to with regards to this online coaching space for help and assistance? Because obviously it's a fairly new new space for, for coaches yeah. to be involved with. Who are the people you've you've spoken to that do, do this online coaching well? Um, I'm lucky that I've got a lot of really good friends who around the world. Like Instagram's amazing, right? Like how amazing is Instagram? Like you can end up in the DMs of Sean Foley if you want and he'll write back. You know, like you can, that's a pretty amazing space that we're in, right? But I've got Dom as a party in Queensland, uh, Lucas Herbert's coach. Then you just got coach of the year, Golf Digest. Um, I guess Stevie Giuliano as well has helped me a bit. J uh, Jay Kelly in the UK. I don't know if you've heard of Jay. He's oh, great. I don't oh. think so. And uh, he's a great coach. He's a yeah, great coach. Coaches uh, a lot of challenge to players. But the first person was actually um, who's not as not doesn't do as a whole lot anymore. Is Regan McGovern? I think he was on your podcast actually. He helped me out a lot as well with that initial stuff. But for me, it was kind of just creating my own path and just finding out, just giving thousands of lessons, and you just kind of work out what what works and what doesn't work. And I, I'd like to go back to where I started and, and just try and help a few people again where I butchered it, and. Um, Cause a little bit more head noise than I probably should have, but um, but yeah, just you just kind of just got to pave your own path, right? And I think that's a mentor is great, but like, how much has a mentor really influenced 
what you've done in your coaching life, probably a very small percentage, right? You've paved your own way, probably 95% of it. 5% of it, you've been steered a little bit in this direction. So, but probably, probably those people, but I don't want to sound arrogant with it all, but I generally would say to people that I am, myself and Dom are probably the pioneers of online coaching in Australia, you know, without being, so it's, it's difficult to source, source a lot of um, people because it hasn't been really done a lot before the way that we do it. So, yeah. It's, 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 um, just, a, just a quick point there. You said that you were, you'd be keen to go back to some of those early ones and maybe help them out a bit, a bit more later on. Um, that was a piece of advice I was given early on and I'm guilty of that as well. Like you think back to some of those first coaching sessions you did and you think, what the hell was I thinking? And yeah. I think the advice I got from someone was if you give them the – a hundred percent of what you've got at that particular moment in time, that's all you can do. So yeah. I think that's important for coaches out there to understand that if you're giving them all that you've got at, at that that time, then that's all you can do as a coach. And you'll always improve over time. You'll always get better. And and in saying that, right, I now charge five hundred percent more than what I did when I first started. So, you know, it's not I'm not gonna say that, you know, shitty information comes at a cheap price or whatever, but you know, I, I now from what I've learned through all my studies and stuff and how to deliver lessons a lot better. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to charge a lot more. Now, I'm quick, I'm keen to touch on social media. You said you obviously um, you've used Instagram. You have a presence on Instagram. Big. You've got a Love you've it. got a presence on social media, which is great, and that's generally where I hit up all my podcast guests is from their social media presence. So, explain to me how you use socials in your in your coaching to promote yourself. I think uh, I love Instagram. I I think Instagram has gifted me a lot. You know, there's a lot of great coaches out there giving a lot of great information out there to learn from. Like, look at Stevie Giuliano. I know that the fourth time I've mentioned him today, but he puts up that much great quality stuff for you to learn. You know, I save it and I'll work it out. So if I have a question with a, a golf, like this is just me using it as a consumer. Like if Alex puts up something on some trail arm work, I'll save it, study it, work out what I think the drill that he's trying to work out with that student's doing. And then I'll ask him the question, is this what you're trying to do? You know, and, I, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to do that with so many coaches. A lot of coaches do it with me now, which is nice. But the way that I use Instagram from a promotional part of it is I try to make sure firstly that I'm just sharing nice information that students want, right? And that's the, that's the key thing is sharing good information that people want, not trying to sell, 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 right? But secondly, I, I use it to educate people and show people what online coaching is about and i would have a i would assume if you've been following me on instagram and you come to me for a lesson in person which is a bit strange at times too people have been following me for a long time on instagram and they come meet me and they it's like we're best mates and i don't even know their name but it's you probably got a fair assessment of what you're going to get with me because I've shared the whole process a lot of times with online coaching. I've shared the whole process with in-person coaching. So I think a lot of time people know what they're going to get with me. I think people make the mistake early on or with their Instagram. They just put up golf tips and try to be a bit too catchy with it where anyone can stand in front of the camera and talk about the bounce of a sandwich. But how about, I used to, if you go to my first Instagram, my, my first part of it all, it's just me just taking clips from my lessons. So people would see me giving a lesson and problem solving on the go 
and then seeing a person high five me and hitting a draw with a seven iron for the first time and then clipping that up and putting that on Instagram and people saying, oh, that looks fun. That looks cool. So kind of that. That's what I've kind of done with my Instagram and I like it. I, I, I really, really enjoy it and I love educating people in online coaching and it just, it just helps me. It helps me a lot. I learn a lot through Instagram and I hopefully teach a lot through Instagram. It'd be a simple way to get content out there too. I think what you're saying is like clipping up existing content as opposed to having to go and create new stuff all the time. So probably a great way for coaches starting out to get some stuff out there. 100% because a lot of people feel nervous getting in front of the camera, right? Like I must have clipped up my first my first one. I must have shot 16,000 times. I'm lucky enough I can get in front of the camera now and get it right the first time and not be too worried about it. But the, the lesson clips is a good way to get started. And don't be, don't care what anyone else thinks about you. You know, that's the big one because people get caught up in, is this the right thing that I'm putting up there? You know, like some coaches will send me a message, is this right? Like, it is right. Trust yourself, you know, trust your gut. And if you make a mistake, it's okay. I think the average human makes 17 mistakes a day or something like that, right? It's okay if, if what you think is not, if someone else thinks it's not correct because people will always argue the point. Right, I have twenty five markers on TikTok telling me that my shin killer drill is the wrong drill for this person. You know, <laughs> it, don't just once you let go, and I think once you let go of what people think about you, it gets really easy to start producing content. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're wrong. Who cares? But yeah, clipping, clipping, clipping it up's nice. It's a great way to start. And I think sometimes as coaches, we forget that socials can be a good source of information. I think it's very easy to get oh. caught up in the in social media in general. But there's actually some pretty good content put out by some world-class coaches that you can access now. Mate, it's you incredible. Couldn't, it's incredible. In the past, to, to see those type of coaches, you'd have to travel across the world to go and see them in person. But you can oh. see what they do online now. Mate, it's there's amazing. no way in the world I would need to go see Stevie Giuliano give a golf lesson. There's no way in the world. Even though I could be actually seeing him in a couple of weeks' time, a couple of months' time, but there's no way in the world I would need to. Just see stuff online, and he's, yeah. uh, as you said, he's a uh, he's the the, he's the, the content guru. He's, he's the pioneer of Instagram. He's put, putting so much stuff out there, and yeah, it's um it's cool to see him doing so well. He's also been on the podcast, so scroll back and find his episode. Oh, he was certainly worth talking to. He he did his apprenticeship, at, he did his traineeship at the same time as me, so. He yeah. was, um, yeah. he's always been a, a pretty switched on guy. So it's good to see him doing so well. Yeah. No, he's good. Well, Toby, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming in and, and talking to me. You've been yeah. really generous, but I'm going to throw a few questions at you just to, just to finish off. So as always with all my guests, you've shared heaps of heaps of learning out there for the average coach starting out, but what specific advice would you have for coaches starting out? Learn the fundamentals. Like from a technique point of view, learn the fundamentals and learn why. You know, learn why. Learn why does someone with a, a, a strong bottom hand grip move their trial wrist into an extension and have the club face super shut? Learn why that happens, and learn the opposite. Why someone's got a really weak bottom hand grip and they flare it open? I think learn and learn the fundamentals, and and because for me, set up just set up is where people should be set up and grip as a coaching perspective. Because if I'll always say, if I could go around and fix everyone's grip and set up, I reckon the world would be a four shot, five shot, better golfer, the whole world. Right. So learn the fundamentals down pat, because if you can, you know, I, I've always find myself coming back to grip. Right. So from a coaching perspective, that, uh, secondly, 
just be open-minded. You know, I think as trainees or associates, whatever they're called, I'd be at a seminar and if someone mentioned stack and tilt, I'd be like, oh, yucky, whatever, you know, even I didn't even know what I was talking about, you know. I think being open-minded is really key and um, just keep studying and just and just make sure that, that that person's made an effort to come see you and just make sure that you're giving them a really good experience. That's really, really good advice there. And I think it's really, I think just to go over that being open-minded point because that's hugely important. I think I there's coaches out there that I don't agree with what they what they coach and what I've seen of them, but there hasn't been a a training session or a, a um a session that I've been involved with where I haven't picked up something from every coach I've ever watched. So even if they don't coach, well, what you think is is correct, so to speak. Always, there's always something to learn. And, and I think for me as well, right, is there's some stuff that I don't agree out, out there as well, right? I don't agree with it. I don't understand how it can actually work. Like I won't go into certain details. Obviously, a lot of people coach that t- style. But my whole Instagram account is still littered with those types of coaches just because, like, I want to I, I go through my thing and I want to see uh, GG. I want to see GG. I want to see Stack and Till. I want to see Mac O'Grady. You know, or more out, I should say. So seeing those and just learning from all those three, even though I might not agree with X or X or whatever, it's good to be open-minded and keep learning because, you know, look at GJ. He's really good at getting. If you want, to, if you need a student to get more rotation, then you should be looking at his stuff. <laughs> Very true. Okay, advice for for golfers out there. What would you say to the golfers out there that are tuning in? Uh, just. Just identify what your goals are. So identify where your goals are first and don't be scared to to speak those goals to a coach and then work out and ask that coach what part of these goals. All my online students, they all have goals, right? And some of them are nervous to tell me and I go, don't, just tell me you shoot for the stars. You know, I call a lot of them Project Scratch. We're trying to get to scratch. And if you've got goals, right, approach your coach about it and see and ask your coach if this is possible. And if he says no or if he says yes, ask him if he's got a case study of something recent who's done it. You know, has does has someone who dumps it on the inside like me actually gotten to this before? You know, and he'll go, yes, I've actually done that before with Betty or whatever. Then, then you know you're in the right space. But if the coach says, no, this is not possible, then just go get some information from someone else. So I think understanding what your goals are if you want to get better. Perfect. like it. Um, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Um, hopefully spending a lot more time overseas <laughs> where my wife and I, when we're taking the kids, we're going to uh, Chengdu and Bali for five, six weeks in the start of June because of my online coaching, I can do that. So I was going to coach poolside for six weeks and um, over there. So hopefully spending a lot more time overseas and being flexible with seeing my players overseas as well. Um so I'll be probably doing a trip to India twice a year. I'll be doing a trip to Bali like twice a year or go to Jakarta, see some Indonesian students. So probably doing a lot more travel, but just hopefully deeper in the online coaching world. And I'm interested to see how AI coaching is going to go. I really am. I'm really, because that's pretty crazy, right? So there's an opportunity for us to be kind of nearly in the same space as the student and um, giving a golf lesson. So probably that. And just hopefully studied up a lot more. And probably just, I'll look back in five to ten years' time and everything I know now will probably be wrong. 
So hopefully a lot, uh, learn a lot more. It's um, interesting that that online coaching space, I just saw Daniel Blackwell, who's also been on the podcast, has just um, resigned yeah. his teaching role and he's taking on a more internal role with the AI swing app that he's been using. Okay. Through his online coaching. So it's, um, yeah, it's an evolving space. It's pretty amazing. And because to me, it's going to be like, it's going to be to a point where it's, it's, you're crazy not to do online coaching, like as a, from a coach's perspective and from a student as well. If you want to get better, like if, if you've got lofty goals and you're a 20 handicap ride and you want to get to 10 in a year, that's a lot of lessons with an in person coach, right? Where you can, you can get there pretty quickly through, through online coaching because you've got access. You know, I've got 10 lessons to do today after you and um, they can report back to me in a couple of days' time where if you're coming to see me in person, you're not going to see me for a couple of months. Oh, sorry, like a month potentially, you know. So I think that AI stuff's pretty – it's pretty crazy to see where it's going to go, the whole metaverse and all that. I'm scared. I like it. But I think it's, I think it's going to be the way. <laughs> I just – just uh, my son just had his birthday and he saved up all his birthday cash and his Christmas money and bought a VR headset. Oh, wow. The, Ocul- the Oculus VR headset and he was yeah. playing with it on the weekend. And I said, come on, give me a go. Let me check this thing out. It's extremely cool when you tell, put it tell on. Tell me about <laughs> it. How, how, did, how did you feel about it? What, what, what situation were you in? Well, I was I was doing archery, so we were taking pot shots at targets with with archery, and you've got little handles that you hang on to with yeah. the headset on, and you you have to literally move and pull the string back with the with the no handle, way. and then you and then you get it aimed up and you shoot it, and it actually it's almost like you're actually doing it. It's really really cool. And, and it rec- uh, it recognized it recognized your say your AOA your angle of attack and your your launch conditions, yeah. and it, it shot it, it all set up. No if way. You, and if you don't reach in far enough and pull the string back, it, it doesn't work. You've got to actually grab hold of the string and pull it back. And You're yeah, kidding. so that's crazy. He's, been, he's had heaps of fun with that over the weekend. And he turned up last week and he's been hanging to play it. And he was out there doing it this weekend. So, well, we've got really, to really adapt. Cool. We've got to adapt. You know, like what does Zuckerberg say? It's like if you're not evolving, you're, you're falling behind. You know, it's too yeah, risky. Not, it's too risky not to evolve. And I don't like this space as much as anyone. I was living in India in 2016 and I wasn't coming home. I was living in a monastery and I, I wasn't going to come home. Where now I'm exactly the opposite. I'm living in this world. So it's, um, yeah, we've got to adapt. We've got to accept it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, anything that you would change in your journey so far? Anything that you had, had the chance to go back and change that you would? I think... No, I don't, I don't, I, I really don't. I, I think I started coaching a little bit later once I realized what I wanted to do within the PGA field, right? And I think it was the right time for me. The only thing that I probably would have done a little bit if I had the opportunity to was potentially go and do more travel and shadow coaches before I had kids. You know, I, I don't think it's feasible for me now to, you know, go do the trip that Kerry just did over through the States for, you know, two months and hang out with the world's best coach. I think it's great, but I just don't think it's fair on my family for my two kids to be at home while I'm off, you know, shadowing Chris Mason or, you know, learning from Andrew Rice or whatnot. So yeah, I think yes. I think shadowing coaches and anytime I get a full rain day coming up, I get on my Instagram and see if there's any coach I can go watch coach. Yeah. You can almost do it virtually these days, though. You can almost get a get a – FaceTime call going and see see them doing it. 
in person via the yeah. via the apps these days. Hey, what about what Claude Harmon said about when he watched his dad coached? He would actually film his dad and actually watch his dad's mannerisms throughout the golf lesson, watch how he problem solved, watch went on behind closed doors a little bit more, not just the outcome-based stuff. And, and yeah, that was interesting, that. Hmm, it is. Okay, so from the self-confessed golfing nerd, where do you go for your, your further education and your further learning sources of information? To see me. To come Just see me. for you to improve yourself. For, for me to improve myself? Yes. Yeah. Oh, for me, I go I, – I, I would go to – for me to – if I'm doing more studies, Scott Cowks, um, I'd go look at Mac stuff, Golf Machine Book, and Stack and Tilt. That's where I kind of learn, learn my stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And I'm going to throw one more question at you that I haven't thrown anyone yet. Who should I get on the podcast? You've given me a couple of names already throughout the, the interview, but who, who should I get to come on the podcast next? Try and get Dom. Dom has a party. Yeah, I've spoke to Dom a long, long time ago, so I'll have to get him on. Um, and you're looking at just co- – you're looking more to coaches, aren't you? Yeah, anything that fits into that coaching oh, world. Like, I've got Rhino Flattery, Flats Golf and Fitness. Have you done Rhino Flattery yet? No, I haven't. He's great. He's flat, Flats Golf and Fitness. We're looking at doing some stuff together. Um, yeah, he's a good one. He's he's really into the physical side of things, and uh, he's just full, full-time full golf fitness. It's pretty crazy. Him. Awesome. Dom has a party. That'd be my, probably my two best ones from coaches. Or the golf physio in Billy Troy. I went on his podcast, so maybe him. Billy Troy, he's a good one too. Awesome. We've got a couple of names to hit up there, so yeah. I appreciate that. If I no, can't I get him to answer, I will be calling you up to say, can you get in touch for me? Mate, people like, people like being asked to go on podcasts. People like it. <laughs> Makes them feel <laughs> special, do. mate. You've made me feel special, Brent. Oh, that's good. Um, where can people find you? Some plugs, links. Uh, I just generally say, if you Google my name, I've got a website guy and a business guy that just work for me. So they, if you Google my name, you'll find me. But Instagram, tmgolf underscore, and then just www.tmgolf.com.au. Cool. Put some links in the show notes, everyone, so they can track you down if they want to get in touch and maybe get some coaching or just to, to talk coaching. But yeah, I love it. Mate, thank you so much for your time. I really uh, no worries, appreciate you coming in and talking to me. So much great information. Um, could have gone on for heaps more time, but um, yeah. we have to get back to work at some stage today. So bills, that's it. So I appreciate you coming in and um, ho- hopefully we can catch up in person at some stage. Yeah, for sure. And, I'd um, love that. If I get down to Victoria, for sure. For sure. We can even get on the golf course for a game. I'm into it. Mate, mate, tap the ask me twice. Cheers, Toby. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Appreciate it. See you, mate. Bye.